Welcome to Series 2 of Half Hour Call from Open Drama UK. To start the second series, co-founder Karen Latto is in conversation with Paul Webster and Sam Prince from Pearson. Today, they're going to be talking about how qualifications are reformed, the process that they go through, and how teachers and students get involved in those changes and amendments, with particular reference to the changes that have just come about to Pearson's set text list. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Welcome, everyone, to the first episode of Half Hour Call of the New Academic Year. I hope you're going to enjoy listening today. We are joined by Paul Webster and Sam Prince from Pearson. To get started, can I ask you to introduce yourselves, what are your roles at Pearson, and tell us a bit about what your day-to-day work is like. Hello, everyone. Uh, I'm Paul and I'm the subject advisor for um, our drama and performing arts qualifications. Primarily, my, my role is to help teachers with the teaching and assessment of the qualifications. And I work with um, internal colleagues and external organisations and representation from various bodies uh, to really put forward the views and the needs and the requirements of drama teachers and drama students and the subject itself. So on a day-to-day basis, I can be talking to a teacher about the plays that they want to do with their students, but then I can also be in a meeting with Ofqual or with a theatre company about the type of resources that they offer. I'm Sam. I work as a product developer in the English and drama product team. So I'm actually in a different team to Paul, but we are part of a virtual team, <laughs> which is exciting. So I primarily look after the two drama qualifications we have and then A-level English qualifications, but also support GCSE English quals as well. So <laughs> my day-to-day job is like me spinning lots of plates and managing a lot of documents and writing lists on different post-it notes Uh, that's how I keep track of what I'm supposed to be doing and I might be developing new support materials for one of those qualifications or um, updating existing documents and that might be I'm liaising with people internally about them or with our senior assessment professionals um, who write the live papers or I might be giving advice to colleagues. I do that quite a lot. (laughs) And, or I might be working on investors in people because I'm an investors in people champion for the product division too. So quite a lot of different things. And it's quite varied from day to day, depends. How varied it is and how different it is. And you can't necessarily really predict what's going to happen on a day-to-day basis, especially when, uh, for me, uh, you know, I'm, I'm on the front line and, and working with teachers um, every day. And um, I, I f- I'm just very proud, really, of being able to do this job and represent the subjects because, you know, I love drama. And I think that everybody who's involved with drama teaching also has that passion and that kind of will for it to be appreciated and be acknowledged in all contexts whether that's within your school and and within society at large and I just try to bring that passion and enthusiasm to everything I do and 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 it's a 
it can be incredibly difficult and frustrating at times and sometimes when you have to justify some crazy decisions and the, and the way things are uh, but um, I wouldn't have it any other way like this is the job that I want to do and I'm very happy to do it every day so and he's very good at it. I think uh, <laughs> I'm very lucky to, to work with Paul. So I sort of say one of the main things I like about my job is is the people I get to work with. I think when we've now worked on drama as a team for six years, coming up to six years, so that's the internal and the external people. And I think we work really well as a, as a unit. And also for A-level English, the people I've been working with probably nearly coming on to seven years for, for that, because that's what I started developing uh, so it's nice that we've got a really good solid working relationship and it, it it's a well-oiled machine there's a lot of things that get thrown at you but you've always got that internal support and the ex uh, support from the senior AA teams as well assessment associates sorry there's a lot of acronyms uh, yes, there <laughs> are, definitely. so if I ever say something you're like what does that mean uh, let me know uh, so um, yeah I really like that that I get to work with people that help me to do this job and like Paul I really like the fact I'm I'm making a difference to people's life working on qualifications and it gets to help somebody to get to get close to their dreams or to to, to go out in the world and so yeah I like that and my yeah the internal people and our drama team is one of the best so. So one thing we get asked quite a lot is about um, career progression and what we can do with teachers. And in fact, one of our champions, Carl, um, tweeted last week about his own career progression. So I thought I'd ask you both, because obviously you work in education and in drama education, but not in a school. What's your background? How did What did you do before you joined the exam board? Kind of how did you get into those roles? Yeah, sure. Well, I was a drama teacher and I... I worked in schools first and then I moved to FE and what I liked about FE was not only was I able to do general qualifications but I was also able to do vocational as well so I expanded my kind of area of expertise into VTEC performing arts as well and so I, I yeah I was a teacher for about 10 years and but I was always fascinated with um, like on the Wizard of Oz, you know, when you look behind the curtain and you can see the wizard, like, and all the, like, oh, look, the, the, here's, here's how it all works. Here's how it's all uh, being put together. And I was just really fascinated by that and wanted to know more. So um, I applied to work for Pearson as uh, it was uh, within the BTEC team as uh, in the assessment. And um I have been here ever since and I've, I've worked in assessment and then I've worked in qualification development and now I work in this brilliant ridiculous role that I have of just having my fingers in every single possible internal and external pie. I have a less straightforward route I guess. I, I actually did law at university and I, I did um, my PGC uh, as an English teacher and I worked as an English teacher to start with and then I moved into test development I actually worked developing the optional English test that used to sit between key stage two and key stage three when we had English key stage three tests um, and that's how I sort of got into assessment and then I moved to OCR I looked after A-level art which was a bit of a magical mystery talk because I knew nothing about art and performing arts as well so and then I went to work as an English teacher again 
eventually moved to London and then I joined Pearson at the start of that reform period to develop the new calls and I started as I said with A-level English then did the drama calls then to politics then we sort of got moved into the product division so I sort of carried on on the sort of support side but still work on um, the new uh, amends or new qualifications so yeah. Well, thank you very much for sharing that with us. It's really helpful. And I think as well, it's really encouraging for teachers who think actually maybe they've had their time in the classroom. What else could they do to know that there are these quite massive education companies mm-hmm. um, and organisations and charities that do look for people who've worked in education and worked in teaching. to come And, and they've work got them. lots of different roles in those organisations as well. I mean, Pearson is particularly a, a, a huge beast of a, a company, but OCR was many tentacled as well because Cambridge assessment had three sort of different sort of prongs so there was quite a lot of movement once you've got what you've got once you've got your foot in the door like Paul's roles um uh, sort of shown where you can sort of move so it is worth if people decide yeah teaching I've done my stint to, to look at those roles and there's quite a, there's a lot of awarding but different awarding bodies smaller awarding bodies particularly on the vq side vocational qualification side sorry a vocational side as well so yeah definitely worth looking like the fab uh, federation of awarding bodies job site is always a good one to look out for those things back in 2014 we all started up this merry-go-round of uh, developing qualifications for first teaching 2015, 2016, 2017, obviously the drama with the 2016 group. And I kind of thought it would be really good to take this opportunity to talk about kind of that process a little bit before we talk about some of the changes that have happened more recently to the Pearson specification. One thing I found coming directly from teaching into that qualification reform is that there was stuff that I knew, but there was stuff I had no idea about. And I think it'll be really good just to take the opportunity kind of to demystify some of that process. If you guys were right with talking through some of that. It starts with there's three fundamental key documents that underpin a development of qualification. So the, 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 the biggie is the subject content, which is owned by DFE. And when they start the process, they'll, they'll start a draft and then we collaborate, all awarding bodies collaborate on that content. And we work with DFE, we went to meetings about this. And that sort of document d- defines the, the foundations of the qualification. So it will tell you in terms of for, for drama that it's got to have the NEA, it's got to have the, um, the, the text, it's going to determine the learning outcomes, it's going to talk about what things have to be in your qualification. So everybody, it's like the blueprint, I guess, that every awarding body will work from. Then there are two other key documents that are owned by Ofqual. So there's the subject guidance documentation, which is really the assessment objectives where it lays down what they are. And it goes through what's called the technical interpretations of those AOs. And again, we met with Ofqual with all the awarding bodies to discuss and talk through those. And for drama, it was quite straightforward. It was far more straightforward than something like English or politics that I worked on, where there were a lot more. And it was a lot more sort of fraught. But drama was, was fairly, dare I say, straightforward in terms of AOs and, and how that worked. And then there's the subject conditions and regulations document. Now, I said the AOs were, were straightforward. This document is really for something, a subject like drama, where all the NEA details are. So for some subjects, you won't have very much in this document at all. 
But for drama, it was lengthy because we had a lot of rules about the NEA and how that was going to work. And again, this is discussed into board. It's discussed with Ofqual. And that was then you get to the point where there's finalized documents of those three things. And then you work on your qualification model and you work to sort of build a model out of those sort of key things that you need to be hitting in terms of the subject content. And then what you will do is get together a development team, an internal team, uh, an external team of writers, and then you start to develop the, the specification, the sample assessment materials, the SAMs. I got very used to everybody talking about SAMs and they weren't talking about me. And it's a really involved process, that process of working towards a first submission to Ofqual, because that's how the process works. You have to develop your specification, your SAMs. You also have to develop two other key documents as well. So your assessment mapping grids that basically said which questions are hitting which AOs and the marks that are covering it. Um, because you have, I forgot to say this in the uh, AO document, you'll also have targets of weightings for the AOs. So there's a little bit of tricksy maths going on there as well. We've got a very uh, funky spreadsheet to help me, who's perhaps not the best at maths, to work out where we're hitting within. Sometimes you get a target range within the AOs, and sometimes you have to hit a specific target, specific percentage for the AOs. So it, it differs for quals. So there are some very technical, very precise things you've got to be doing. Um, and also we have your assessment strategy, which is basically the document where you're communicating with Ofqual and explaining to them what you've done and why you've done it and how you're hitting all the requirements. So we had to map the subject content against the content in our quals. We had to map all the regulations and the conditions against what we've done in our quals. So it's quite a lengthy document, uh, Karen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I've I've written quite a lot of assessment strategies. Perhaps not my favourite thing in the whole wide world to do, but yeah, it's it's that sort of communication. And then you'll get to a point where you're like, right, we're going to submit to off call. And I think the first round they told us when to submit so we had a date to work to so again you're also working on your timeline because there's a lot of internal sign-offs you have to go through we had external stakeholder uh, sign-offs as well we might get to that later on and yeah so it's quite involved and you then wait to either hear from off call it's a yay or you get rejected and you get rejected that that's that's how it usually works and so you go through that whole process again you get a rejection report sometimes quite depressing reads because they uh, can be very, very long. And um, you have to unpick what the issues are. You have meetings with Ofqual to discuss the, the feedback reports and to see, uh, to, to, to clarify anything that might not be clear. And then you start again, working towards the next submission. So it's very cyclical uh, by the point where you get that. So you, you work and sometimes you get, we got, I'm trying to remember how many submissions drama went on. I think it was two. But there's some subjects I know that went to five submissions. It, it all depends on what's being picked up uh, by the regulator. So it, it, it's quite slow as well, because then you've got to do all your internal processes <laughs> to, uh, and wait again for off call to review. Uh, and the first, uh, the way they reviewed as well changed during the phrases. So um, for English, we had to actually go and have a meeting with off call to do, and where they sort of grilled us about the qualifications for A-level for all six A-level quals. <laughs> <laughs> had to do that but then for drama we didn't have that process they changed the process a bit so the the, the process with off on that relationship does evolve as well it doesn't sort of 
isn't set in stone and it has sort of changed as we've gone into sort of the live phase and we've we've got to do amendments as well yeah definitely and that's a, that's a really detailed kind of explanation of how the process works thank you I think it's it's really helpful kind of because obviously I was part of that process as well mm -hmm. so I know it quite well um, and I know we get asked and uh, and they do say it's just a, a lot of acronyms a lot of jargon oh, yeah. a lot of mm -hmm kind of but you're just repeating what you've done it's like yeah we're making one tiny change here and we have to repeat the whole process yeah. to get it back through that process again but and also there's some things where it, you, you sort of have to decide what do I want to you know what do I want to stand my ground on uh, and what's really important to the subject and what some things are actually I'll let that go because we did have a bit of a battle didn't mm -hmm. we um Paul about live theatre Mm -hmm. uh, and students having to go to see live theatre and Paul and um, a colleague Sarah who they did have quite a lot of in discussions with Ofcore where we decided as a business no we're that this is something core to our principles of drama we want to be supporting live theatre and we did we did make them stand we, we did make them stand by that so yeah there's certain things where you have to really think through what are our core principles in line with this subject what what are we going to stand true to and, and what do we want to not perhaps battle about and actually we'll we'll, we'll make an amendment and we'll, we'll we'll do that change that was a main one I think in drama wasn't it Paul was there anything else you can remember it was the main one I, I feel that one of the issues that comes up is that is the sometimes it's easy to lose sight of um, the needs of the subject and uh, those that are teaching it and having subject experts involved in the process is a very difficult thing to do but it's something that you just have to ensure happens and that again just takes a lot longer to do because there's obviously you know there's someone like me involved but then we also need our external stakeholders as well to have their say and to review what's going on so it is quite a laborious process to be honest. And sometimes they didn't agree and my job as a guest was the middleman and at the end of the day sometimes you had to make a decision. There was a lot of tricky issues with the NEA. I remember many meetings trying to to work out how we were going to piece this together so it worked. It was a bit like I think somebody described once as trying to do a jigsaw when you don't really know what the picture is um, and, it, and it was the first time I think the NEA subjects had come on board in 2016 the, the, the coursework in A-level English and history, and I think it was, I'm trying to remove the subject, I can't remember, it might have been business, it was 20%. And it was very much something that they'd done before. It was just writing an essay. And it was like, so there wasn't a lot of rules around it. But suddenly we had 60% NEA, quite a lot of rules. It's like, how is this going to work? And then the other really tricky thing, I think perhaps isn't appreciated is the level-based mark schemes and writing those they became an absolute bane of my life for sort of five years I do really like doing them but they can be really really tricksy and I think I learned a lot from doing English then coming into drama how to do that better there was a lot of marking grids in drama as well oh so I know you've talked about um, stakeholders and we've talked a lot about Ofqual and the DFE um, I just kind of want to talk a bit more about kind of teachers and how they get involved in this process. So it's not a closed shop. I think that's something that I want to point out. There are lots of opportunities to get involved. Obviously, you've got the DfE and Ofqual consultations. But could you talk us through some of the other um, opportunities there are for teachers to get involved in not just developing qualifications, but also when things change and when there's amendments as well? 
if we look at what we've just done with the addition of, of the new set text for GCSE drama, um, we went through a new process that we've that we implemented uh, because what we wanted to do was we wanted to ensure that um, not only um, teachers but students' voices were heard in the choices that we were making and um, we also wanted to ensure that um, the diversity, equity and inclusion policy that Pearson have was implemented like effectively and formally. So we set up a new um, approval process and we invited various key stakeholders, Karen, as a representative of Open Drama, you were, you were one of those people that was involved with this. So um, and thank you very much for everything you, you gave to us. It was brilliant. Um, we also had um, the chair from um, National Drama. We had uh, teachers as well as yourself. We had people like Matthew Nichols and Carolyn Bradley, who uh, created a wonderful um, guidance document last year that, that was shared through Open Drama about representation in drama and plays written by global majority playwrights. Um, and then we also had um, colleagues from the London Theatre Consortium from representation in drama, people like um, Romana Flello and Meze Eid and Samelia Hodge-Dalloway who brought their own perspectives and thoughts on the type of place that we should be including. And um, as well as, as that wonderful group of humans um, signing off the, the plays, we also spoke to about eight teachers about the plays that we were choosing and we, we sent them some um, copies of them so that they could have a look and they could give us their feedback on whether they thought that they would use them, uh, what, whether they had used them before in the practical components. Um, and we also wanted to get students involved. And, and what we did as part of um, our uh, recent kind of launch of the text is we asked a group of young people if they would read the plays and then have a conversation really with the writers of the plays because uh, in choosing these four texts, we really wanted to make sure that the writers were still alive and with us and that, that you know, the, the plays are, are all written relatively recently, like within the last 12 years. Um, but having the young people talk to them and we have the recordings of these kind of gave a really interesting perspective on the understanding of the work and how they will approach it, you know, not only from a performance perspective, but also the fact that within the context of the qualification, they have to write about it. They have to write about it as a performer, as a, as a designer, as a director. So we felt that, you know, this new approach is something that worked incredibly well. And it's something that we will do from now on. So whenever we're going to make an amendment to uh, the qualification, whether it's GCSE or A-level, or when we do the new spec developments, whenever that will be, uh, we will definitely be um, seeking the thoughts and opinions and approval of teachers and students as part of that process. And as part of the the develop the 
curriculum reform, there were sign-off panels that included teachers. And then for A-level, it included HE as well, because that was a requirement of DfE. So they, they do have a voice, obviously. And I think they we had a separate team sort of sourcing those, those, those sort of teachers. And we sort of, um, we drew on teacher, I think we consulted about qualification models as well with teachers mm -hmm. and text choices with teachers as well. So there's the, their voice is included and I think we're sort of moving towards getting that student voicing because those chats playwright student chats are just phenomenal they're really mm -hmm. really great and hopefully they will be on our website soon so yeah it's definitely we are evolving the way we work and the way we sort of engage with their stakeholders and get the the teacher voice and the student voice involved in that in our sort of work as well sounds really exciting I think that's a that's a really good thing I know when when we did the first round of development teachers were kind of the key priority but involving students as well I think is something going forward for the future for everyone to really be doing I think it's a brilliant idea and, and well done for picking up and doing it so obviously you've got these four new GCSE texts which is very exciting to see and thank you very much for for getting me involved with that process and it was great to read through some of them as well um how did you decide which texts that's always the question how which, how did you go these are the ones we're going to add well i will <laughs> i will try to well. i will try to make this as succinct as possible but karen you were involved with this i don't know whether you remember that when we released those uh, when we released our specifications um we the four examples were contacted by the artistic director of the Royal Court, Vicky Featherstone, who asked us, who wanted to talk to us about why there was such a lack of diversity in, across the set text list. And so we went in and we had some really good conversations with her and her team about uh, why we had made the decisions that we'd made, you know, because we had long lists and we had, I feel, in discussions with you and with our colleagues in the other boards, you know, We'd all had what we felt was fair representation in the long list, but then when we went through the process of determining which place to use, we are we were we had some constraints within the regulations for the specifications. So about the length of um, the plays and about our, is every extract that we will choose for the next eight years, for the next 10 years, is it going to be comparable? Can students answer the same types of questions? Is it going to be fair? And we ended up with plays in the end. And I think that we all just went into it without necessarily thinking about the impact of who'd written them, but about the plays themselves, about the content of them. And, but, and, but when it was presented to us objectively, it suddenly became apparent about what we would need to do. And over the past, um, the, the, the following years, 2018, 2019, Vicky set up um, symposiums and discussion groups that were about how to make the teaching of GCSE and A-level drama more accessible, more representative, and we were part of those discussions. We went to face-to-face um, -face and online meetings with teachers and with theatre makers and with students in order to try our best to do whatever we could to make this more representative. And a lot of the focus was on um, the practical, you know, on the performance uh, component. But 
and in the choice of stimuli and things like that. But in the end, the set texts are canonical. They are the plays that are listed in the specification. They take on this added importance. We put them on a kind of pedestal. So we had to do something about it. And last year, uh, the uh, the London Theatre Consortium, which is 14 non -for, uh, not for profit uh, funded theatre uh, buildings in, in London, they gave us all a provocation, all four examples of provocation, which was for us to include two plays by uh, global majority playwrights and uh, in our set text list. And so um, we at Pearson, this was in you know the start of 2020 before lockdown, uh, we were ruminated on it through the spring term and then the horrific George Floyd incident happened and Black Lives Matter movement grew and it suddenly became like, we have an obligation, we need to do something about this. So we realised by June that we would add two. And then because of the structure of our component three, where we have two lists, we thought, do you know what, let's just go for it and we'll add four because it will then, it's two for each list. So regardless of what which list the students are choosing, they'll have two new plays that they can look at. And it made it just better in terms of it being a third of the plays by global majority playwrights. So in order to find suitable plays, we had it, we got a long list. And as I mentioned before, you know, that the document that uh, Carolyn and Matthew produced about uh, plays that students could possibly consider, we used that and we got plays from there. We also had uh, guidance from Samelia Hodge-Dalloway and from the LTC. And so we got together a list, there's quite a few of them. And yeah, um, yeah it was huge. So we did a lot, a lot of reading of plays over summer, which is a wonderful thing to do anyway. Um, and um, and we came up with a, uh, we came up with a short list. And it was at that point that we then invited people like yourself and the other key stakeholders to have a look at them. Uh, we had um, eight in total, uh, but then we, we, we'd seen ones as kind of the ones that we really wanted. And then we had the ones as a backup in case things went wrong. We couldn't get the rights to use them for the extracts and all these other implications as well. And by sheer coincidence, I don't know how this has happened, but the four plays that we did choose were all published by Methuen. And we had been in contact with Methuen about the plays and they were so willing to support what we were doing. Right. And they, you know, they produced new versions uh, with gorgeous glossy covers in the kind of um, uh, plays for young people series. And so in choosing these particular plays, it's just, it's it's kind of like a like a series in a way um, of how it's being published and how it's being shared, and because we've been working so closely with the London Theatre Consortium with representation in drama, they were they would they were like so positive and supportive of everything we're doing because they did we've done what they what they provoked us to do, and so they we have did more. We, we did over and above. Exactly. Is it 50%? Is it 100%? I'm not very good with math, but we did, you know, we did twice the amount. And what they have done now and the work that they're doing with us is absolutely incredible. They not only put us in touch with the writers, 
and we've been able to develop relationships with them. We've been able to create these films with them where they're being interviewed with, with the young people. But also we've had the writer's insights into the support materials that we've got. So our teacher guides and things like that. But also, and what's really exciting is that uh, representation and drama are, are putting together separate resources where they're working directly with uh, the production companies and the theatres and the theatre makers from those productions that have happened in the past to produce these materials that they will be releasing from September onwards. And these are recordings of interviews with the directors and the performers and the designers. They are uh, extended clips of rehearsals. They, it's just so much useful information that teachers will be able to use in the classroom to practically explore the texts and help, you know, help develop the students' understanding for when they go into the exam, it's, you know, it's in their mind, it's in their, it's in their muscle memory about the practical work that they've done. I also also want to add that Paul was very much driving force about making, dr driving this forward and sort of on, on our side on our back saying we need to do this we need to do this and uh you know giving me more work to do which is great <laughs> um and sort of when we developed the the set text list i think there was that we have set thing we we have very much a, a blueprint for how that exam has got to work so it, there's always a consideration these are our requirements that we've said in the assessment strategy this is how this component exam component is going to work will those texts fit these requirements and I think we were considering I think our focus was a bit more sort of on the gender balance when when we were initially developing um, and I do remember having lists of uh, you know the writers and sort of looking at certain aspects to, to track but it's an, and we're also quite aware, I think, at that time that schools didn't have a lot of budget. They probably still don't have a lot of budget. And you, you don't want to sort of get rid of those old faithfuls that you know are in the cupboard. It is the same in English as well to sort of think that I, I can't afford a whole new set of these. Uh, you know, in spectacles is in the cupboard. I've got resources on this. I'm comfortable with this. So it's always a bit of a balancing act between keeping those sort of like Paul said, those canonical sort of tried and tested texts that, that work and sort of offering something fresh as well. And perhaps that's where we've learned to sort of think getting that balance right. And we, I think we did it in GCSE English Lit. So we'd sort of had a bit of a, oh, well, we can, we, we've done it there. Let, let's do it in this qualification as well. We're doing it in A-level English Lit at the moment. So we've started a bit of a ball rolling going on in sort of Pearson. And Pearson as a company has started to think about DE&I in a really different way. So it's there's a whole series of things that brought us to sort of looking at our quals through a different lens. And I'm sure you might ask this later on, A-level drama and theatre will be coming into our view uh, as well. So, and I think the next round of curriculum reform is gonna be done in a, in a particularly different way in terms of DE&I. We have a separate um, post in place for our division that that looks after DE&I and is, is putting those provocations out to other colleagues with qualifications saying how we, how are we doing this what how are we meeting this and our history colleagues have, have risen to the challenge the geography colleagues are, are doing it as well mfl are thinking of it so the, the tentacles are reaching wide i think as well but like we say sort of drama we've been a bit of a bit of a pioneer on how we do it 
It sounds fantastic that it's it's not just a, a kind of just change for the qualification and that actually this is kind of spread out just across the whole organization across the whole company yeah um, and in terms of the way of working I think that's that's kind of a really positive thing that that we can all take like take back to my school even um, you know you start doing it in yeah. one place and actually it will feed out it will kind of extend and it will change the culture of of an organization and it's that's really positive so to finish off and round up for today, is there anything else you have really want to tell our listeners about qualifications or any other burning things that you said, you know what, I wish I had the opportunity to say that today? Drama is such an important subject and I can't really bang on about it enough because everybody who teaches it, everybody who's ever studied it knows what it can do to you as a person, but how it affects how you work within society how you view other people it it cuts across every single subject it should be it should be at the core of every single curriculum at every at every stage and I feel like although we work for you know there are four different exam boards and it's like we're in competition in the end we're not we 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 or everybody involved with drama is fighting for its survival and for its acknowledgement and how important it is and I think we have to do whatever we can to ensure that drama remains in people's minds and, is, and, and we ensure that people know how important it is, no matter how, far, how much it's ostracised, how much time is taken off the timetable, how many awful rooms that you're forced to teach in. It's like you just have to keep going. You have to weather the storm because it will have such an impact on those that study it and those that see it. And, you know, we live in a society where things, you know, that Netflix and television and things are they're just so taken for granted, but the subject is what is being done. It's that this is at the core of it all. So um, I feel that, you know, we just have to keep fighting in any possible way. And we've just had the entry figures, obviously, because we had results day come in. And it has been really disheartening to see the peak to the drop at GCSE is gutting. And not just across drama, other sort of creative subjects as well. But it was quite heartening to see that the A-level market seems to be stabilising a bit. So there's, there's a little glimmer of hope. And I'm hoping the GCSE market it did slow down the decline a really big drop in 2019 and it slowed down a little bit last year but it seems to be creeping back up but and I really hope I echo everything that Paul said if, if I couldn't go and see live theatre my, my life would not be as enriched I really hope that that swing away from STEM <laughs> happens and there becomes a lot more balance within sort of appreciating the richness of art subjects no, thank you very much. And, and thank you very much for joining us today and for giving up the time to come and talk about all things qualifications. Um, if any of our listeners are interested in the new set text from Pearson and want to get in touch, they can contact Paul. There's a number of ways of getting in touch with me. You can email me. That's teachingperformingarts at pearson.com. I'm also on Twitter, Pearson Perf Arts. Uh, I'm all over Facebook, as you probably know. So there's, a, there's always a way to get in touch with me. I'd be very happy to hear from you. Um, I can talk to you about the new set text. And if you are teaching our specification and you want to be involved with helping with support materials, so 
we would love any uh, teachers who are who want to to work with us to 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 get students to to explore it practically and then to answer questions that we can use as examples then please do get in touch that would be delightful thank you very much and best of luck with all the upcoming changes and the launch of the new set texts we're looking forward to hearing lots of success stories from teachers and from you guys about how it's all going and very much looking forward to hearing about the the future a level developments as well and and do keep us posted here at open drama uk we're more than happy to share the information with all our subscribers um thank you very much we hope you've enjoyed the first episode of the new series the new set texts for GCSE Drama Component 3 with Pearson have now launched and teaching of these texts have begun. We hope you'll be able to join us next month, where Ali Warren will be in conversation with the Natural Theatre Company to discuss their work and the upcoming face-to-face -face CPD they'll be running for Open Drama UK in November.